1: Underwear, armpit hair, many imitators but no one to Badass Women's Hour XL with Harriet Minter, Natalie Campbell and Emma Sexton on
4: Talk Radio. One,
1: two, three, four!
4: Welcome to the Badass Women's Hour Extra Bits, our little gift for you podcast subscribers. This week we're continuing our bumper edition because it's Emma and Nat's last time on the podcast. Uh, in this show you'll hear from Sophie Walker, former leader of the Women's Equality Party turned author. And Emma and Nat are going to share their highlights from the show. Uh, So, a news story this week Survey, 20,000 people in 27 countries were surveyed to ask them what they thought sort of things were acceptable at work. And it turns out that 28% of men thought stories and jokes of a sexual nature at work were acceptable. Emma, Mm. in your office, if people are sharing a little sexy, sexy story, do you think that's okay or not? I don't know why I did it in that voice. (laughs) I think I just giving it some colour. It depends. It it
3: it depends, doesn't it? What did we someone mention earlier about intent? Like, Mm -hmm. because yeah, I mean, as a me and my my team, we have all sorts of chats (laughs) about all sorts of things. I don't think they're inappropriate, but.
4: Yeah, I I need some more context in this story. Like, well, I- so a bit more context. Um the research was provided by Ipsos Mori and the Global Institute for Women's Leadership at King's College London, and it found that British men are more accepting of such behavior than their counterparts in countries such as Australia, Canada, and the US. Um, And the study also found that more British men than women would be comfortable calling out a senior colleague for making a sexist comment, which is quite interesting for me because it kind of shows both ways, which is we're happy to have a bit of, in quotes, banter, Mm -hmm. but also if we think things go too far, we will put our hand up and say. Mm. Now, do we think we're actually, the most men are actually putting their hands up and saying, hang on, it's gone too far, or are they just, in theory, happy to do so when a researcher asks them?
0: That's a really that. good point. That's a really good point. So do you say the right thing for the research because everyone has a moral conscience and knows yeah. what the line is? <laughs> yeah. um, I think it might be the latter. What I would say is I, I, I hope that we can find our sense of humour again. And it's, it goes back to intent, right? Because in a group of women, I know conversations about sex and... Happen all uh, the time. Happen all, happen all the time um and the banter amongst women where the intent is understood um you know it can, it can get a bit feisty uh i have um you know i i like a man with a with a six-pack um and so uh <laughs> don't think we've mentioned that I've i've of a good that. body no. recently you know anyway? yeah i'm all yeah, like four years of doing this well show. show i'm just gonna have that, that I don't believe
3: we mentioned that ever
0: before. um partial to a tattoo so you know we have these we we have these conversations um and and, but i and if a man was in earshot and was offended and and was genu genuinely offended then yes i i guess i'm 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 in in the wrong um but you know Sex is part of life, right? Yeah, but hang
3: on. If it, see, this is why you need more context to these things. Because if you are a young woman at work and a guy makes a joke about having sex with you or you having sex with somebody else... That's different. not a joke,
0: is it? And and so that's the it's line power, in the internet. yeah. And so so this is that's exactly the point. It's a power dynamic. Yeah. And so if an older male in the workplace makes that joke, I, I would say even oh. in front of younger um, male colleagues, there's potentially an awkwardness there because the 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 worldview is potentially is different, and the joke and the context just just will be different. You know, a carry on joke is not going to go down well with a group of Gen Zs or younger millennials because mm-hmm. they don't really know what carry on is no. whereas i definitely know that i chuckled at carry on joke because it's what i grew up with mm-hmm. uh vice versa if an older woman made that joke in front of a young group of men i think that they might also feel quite awkward yeah. but not necessarily know that they were allowed to feel awkward because yeah. they're men and so it's it always comes down to the intent and and the dynamic and that's why i you know I. Th- it, g- going back to the question, one in four men believe it's acceptable to tell lewd jokes at work might be in that group of men, if they were having banter, they yeah. think it's fine. In the same way that I was with my girls and we were having banter, I think it's yeah, fine. Yeah, because
3: I, when I read this, one in four men, I was like, I don't feel like this is a, just a statistic to do with men, because I feel like one in four women would probably say it was well, okay
4: as well. You'll be interested to know they asked the women this as well, and it okay. was 16%, so more kind of around one in six Ish. one in six well Okay. Yeah. i mean i think it's i uh, what i think is uh, that women over the last few years particularly since the me too movement mm. have become much more aware of what we say and do at work and men have as well but for men that has actually felt like a bit of taking away some of the fun of work mm-hmm. whereas for women it's just like oh well there we go It. it we we're not else. gonna yeah, talk yeah. about our personal sex lives at work anymore even though we probably all have done. Uh, we'd love to know what you think. Would you tell a sexy story or a little joke at work? Give us a call 0344-491000. You can tell us. Um, now, we've got a caller, a very special caller. Mm. In the four years of this show, we have had one loyal and devoted fan <laughs> who has been with us the Number whole Sinkton. time. It's Wendy Sexton, no Emma's mum. I'm so proud that she's calling in. Hello, Hello mum. Wendy. Hello there. It's, it's only taken me
1: four years to plug
3: up the <laughs> Oh. We're so delighted
1: to have you. You've been doing a great job ladies and I've really enjoyed my Saturday nights with my glass of red wine and my box of chocolates and it's made my oh. night. So I hope have- I hope the format's not going to change too much, is it, with you in charge, Natalie? Oh, not Natalie.
4: Harriet. Uh, Harriet. Um, I, it's me. I will try and keep it as similar as it won't be quite as, won't have Emma's flair to it.
3: <laughs> don't worry, Harriet, I'm sure my mum will be giving regular feedback, because I get regular feedback on the show, don't <laughs> yes. I, mum? I'm going to give Harriet your number, and then you can you can just give her the direct feedback now.
4: You can let me know what you think. Yeah, we have
1: to get back on WhatsApp. Um, yes. yes uh, WhatsApp. That's what I do, but at the end of the show, show i always um, whatsapp emma and tell her what i liked or what i didn't
4: like <laughs> and that's why the show's been so good because we've yeah. had that level of feedback <laughs> that's what you need and like constructive criticism is very important Lydia, do
3: you know what she's not just good with feedback on the show she's incredible for
4: feedback on how to run my
3: business as well <laughs> like Mum. yes with no knowledge of what i'm
1: talking about
0: mama sexton can i just ask what's been your favorite um conversation that we've had so far today
1: today i think it was the, um the uh, laura was it mm. honestly i was nearly in tears it was so moving yeah honestly yeah. and so young and coping with all of that i just thought oh yes yeah, that was quite an overpowering moment that
0: and Definitely. would you jump on a plane and go to jordan just no way no,
1: <laughs> no all those and i just think how on earth have they managed to just think well i'm
0: just
5: gonna
1: do that yeah. um no i couldn't do any of that no certainly not my age now do you
4: have a standout moment of emma's from the last few years
1: oh gosh now you've put me on the spot it's matt goss isn't Um, it Mum? she usually warns me if there's anything coming up um no i can't no i think she's been pretty
3: good matt goss you got a bit excited about because you'd seen him on loose women you were quite excited about me interviewing him weren't you
1: Oh, yes, I was. I've gone off him now. <laughs> what about it's, Tim Vincent? I mean, I think that's Emma's view on him as well, so... <laughs> yeah, I think very hard work. Mm. Um, high know, maintenance. High
4: maintenance, that's it. He'd
1: spend longer in front of the mirror than I would, yeah. But, yeah, he was too...
3: Two gloss. I think my mum needs her own show, doesn't it? Celebrity
4: feedback Wendy, with no, Wendy Sexton. Well, there's a space going, Wendy, so you
1: <laughs> can come have it. No, I don't think so. But I will Natalie um say to you, Natalie, I like, hope your job goes really well and good luck with it all. Thank oh, you. <laughs> thank you. Thank you so much, Wendy,
4: and thank you for supporting us over the last four yeah. years. Um, and I, loaning I, us your daughter every Saturday. All right, I'm glad to
1: have her back. <laughs> <laughs> All the best, Harriet. Bye, Mum. Love you. Work. Bye, <laughs>
0: bye, Mama
3: Sexton. Oh, cute. I'm so proud of her for calling in because she was actually, yeah, that's a that's a big deal for her yeah. to call in. Well done, Wendy.
0: <laughs> Four years.
4: Thank you for listening to Badass Women's Out. You can hear us every Saturday on Talk Radio from 7 p.m. for a full three hours. Yes, three hours of opinion, debate, and general setting the world to rights. Now, let's get back to our guest. And um, we're meeting a woman who really does run this world, the amazing Sophie Walker. Hello! Hello. <laughs> Hello,
2: I'm still working
4: on that. <laughs> Welcome back to Badass Women's Hour We love having you here. Oh, Thank you. It's so nice to be here. You have had a full-on week. I mean, I think yes. the last time we yes. had you in the studio, you were... Still leader of the Women's Equality mm-hmm. Party. Uh,
2: yeah, I think I was, And yeah. so
4: much has changed since then. Yes. Uh, now running the Young Women's Trust. Mm-hmm. And this week, published author. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> <Ta-da>! <laughs> Tell us first of all about the book, Five Rules for Rebellion. What inspired it? Well, I got, uh, I got very tired
2: and a bit mm. uh, discouraged um, so it was autumn 2018 and I'd been a campaigner for about 10 years. Um, I started, um, as a, uh, when my daughter, we were trying to get my daughter diagnosed mm. with autism and it was a really long, painful process. So I'd started that and then moved into, uh, uh, Women's Equality Party. And the four years I was leading the Women's Equality Party, the world just went, Mad yeah. and um, you know, we had the EU referendum, uh Trump was elected, fake news became a thing. Um we had um mass murder attacks in Paris and Barcelona, Manchester, Christchurch, um, ten years of austerity, one in fifty people using food banks and um and I I just I just got to the point where I was very tired and I was looking at this thinking, I I I don't think I I I, what? Mm. <laughs> like, I don't think I can really make much of a difference here. And then when you add to that the fact that, like being a public feminist, you mm-hmm. get a lot of abuse. So I was getting a lot, a lot of abuse. Um, and then I was getting a lot of, uh, you know, from people that I really wanted to work with, I was getting, you know, the infighting, the sort of, oh, you're never a good feminist. Mm. You're a really yeah. bad feminist. You'll never be a decent. And it just all felt huge. And I had to stop um i was also really conscious that as a sort of white middle-class woman fronting Mm -hmm. a feminist political party it was really important actually for us to make space for different voices and i felt like i got to the point where i thought the only way i can be effective activist here is to get out of the way for somebody else to do it um and 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 to have a rest and so i sat i sat on my couch with the curtains drawn um for a few months and i watched every single episode of the good wife oh it's so good (laughs) oh my god i was like what have i been doing Mm -hmm. um uh, but my brain wouldn't let it go, so my brain was like, but "How do you do this? How do you do this? How? How?" Like my working title for this was "How to be an activist and not go mad." Mm-hmm. And the breakthrough for me was the point at which I realised, "Look, activism is not a series of pitched battles; it's a philosophy for life." Mm-hmm. And and then I thought, "Okay, so maybe I can work out what would underpin that philosophy." And maybe if I reflect long enough, I, I might have learned a few things that I could offer. And and I and I interviewed uh, women all around the world. I interviewed activists doing extraordinary stuff all around the world. And I started to notice that there were common points that we all shared. The moments where we had to get through despair, where we had to really channel our anger, where we had to sort of understand that hope is a real asset. Mm-hmm. And I and I ended up with. Yeah, I ended up with this, Five Rules for Rebellion. I mean, it's funny to sort of say there are rules for rebelling. (laughs) um, But uh, I think, I just think there's a lot of brilliant people out there and we've never needed brilliant new ideas Mm -hmm. more. And if this book can just support somebody who might be feeling a little bit outfaced, then I'll be happy.
0: So uh, the book aside for a moment, how did you come out of your... um, I guess that moment of despair, because a young woman has said it to me last week. Mm-hmm. She was like, I just, I'm trying to do good and it just feels so heavy yeah. because I'm doing good in a really small bit, but the world just feels so wrong and yeah. unfair. Yeah. And I just said to her, you're alive. Just start from the place of being alive. Yeah. Yeah. And if if you can wake up every day and maintain a sense of sanity, mm-hmm. then you're winning at life at least. Just start there. So what was it for you?
2: For me, it was, it, was, it was two things. One was um, that actually feeling despair is in itself wanting better. Mm. And mm-hmm. I found this wonderful quote by George Eliot in Middlemarch, and she said, that which we call our despair is often the painful eagerness of unfed hope. Mm. And I thought, OK, wow, that's... So actually, by looking... When you look really closely into what feels awful, it's also your way out of it because mm. you do want more you haven 't given up um, and then the other I mean there was a whole load of stuff, but it was also for me the realization that as activists we are a sisterhood mm-hmm. and and when I might be flat on the floor mm. there 's somebody else who's absolutely killing it mm. um, and and the, and that we 're all part of this amazing uh, m- movement and that you you have to step out sometimes and somebody else will take it for you, and then other times you step back in and somebody else will step out.
4: Mm.
0: And so, in that realization, um, the curtains were closed for a little while. Yeah, Open the weren't. curtains, <laughs> ta da. Yeah. And so, book, new job. What's what's life um, been like? What have you been up to?
2: Well, uh, I. When I, so I started writing and I, and I started hustling a little bit at the same time. I was like, OK, so there's a few things I want, I want, to, I want to work on here. How do, I, how do I do the work that I want to do as a feminist in, in different ways? Because I've never, you know, I didn't go into politics because I thought I want to be a politician. I went into politics because I thought I want women's equality, which, how do I come at it? Where's the angle I come at it? One of the other things I really wanted to do coming out of WEP was to find a way to fund Women to do politics because it was really like we we were always struggling for money. We were always you know as a party that represents the poorest people in the country, the people mm. most affected by austerity, the people who retire into pension poverty, the people on the lowest paid jobs. You know we were not a party of billionaires <laughs> like like you know some other parties where there are more <laughs> white men in them. Um, And so, um, and and what WEP always did was to, and still does, was to provide um, support for childcare and for people on low income so that you could actually campaign. I thought that's what I want to do, big style. Mm. And I want to do it for particularly women of colour and disabled Mm. women and working class women because who are community activists, Mm. and that was the other bit. I really felt like uh, our systems don't work because they are created by a very small group of white, straight, middle upper class men uh non-disabled um who who sort of design for themselves and think anybody else is is a, is just different and or, and or irrelevant but actually when you look at the division and the difficulty in our local communities when you look at like the impact on uh local support services by the austerity and the cuts Mm. to the public sector the people who are holding it together are women it's the women Mm. who are keeping the food banks open who are running the libraries you know as in volunteer shifts it's the women who are providing the childcare co-ops and i thought those are the people i want to get into politics Mm. so um so it's all come together we've launched um an organization a fund called activate um which is specifically aiming to support Uh, women from minority backgrounds with community activist experience to get elected so that's the other thing I'm doing Mm, Um, and then I also um, I I spotted that there was a job going at the Young (laughs) Women's (laughs) Trust and I thought oh that looks interesting as well and then it all happened together I thought this week, I thought I might have a heart attack. <laughs> but, <laughs> but no, it's all good. It's you all sound working. like you've got your activist fire back. Yeah. Have you? I you have, back? totally. I, well, I've just spent the day in Birmingham launching the Young Women's Trust's Young Women's Manifesto and movement. And I tell you, we are in good hands. Oh, my mm-hmm. goodness me. What a brilliant, brilliant uh, room full of fantastic women that was. Mm-hmm. Um, we, uh, we've we been working with young women um, uh, for the last several months and they've basically written a manifesto for the world they want to see. Uh, our research was was showing us that I think it's about, about 70% of young women between the ages of 18 and 24 have given up on politics. Mm. They've just lost confidence mm. in politicians. And interestingly, around the same <coughs> number now identify as feminists, mm. <laughs> which is just amazing. So we thought, right, well you're obviously impatient. You obviously don't particularly have faith in the people who yeah. are uh, elected. So why do we just write a manifesto? And I have to say, like, I've been, you know, I've been a campaigner for 10 years. There is nothing more exciting than being in a room full of young women who are just going, right,
1: <laughs> what do we want? And how are we going to do it? And so,
2: yeah, I'm absolutely buzzing. I've been doing that with all day with them, talking about power yeah. in a room full of young women who were thinking, well, I haven't got any power. And you say, OK, let's break it down. There's power over other people. Yeah. There's power within you. There's collaborative power of your networks. Mm-hmm. There's... And, like, oh, my goodness, it was... Whoosh, May, room for the Wonder Women. Yeah. yeah. So,
0: so I, there, is, there is something about agency, right? That yeah. When someone figures out their own sense of agency and what they can do from within and then what they can do within a network, and given that it's our last show, I'm going to say this is a brilliant mm. example of, of that. Once that spark is mm. lit... Mm what it can do it it is it is exciting yeah and so I I do want to get into the book but what else have you got planned with the Young Women's Trust because for for a long time the conversation has been about um, sort of supporting women uh, in low paid work yes but I'm guessing you're going to have a broader conversation than that
2: well, one of the first things we did um, when I joined actually was to 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 look at the strategy and to look at our mission statement. Mm-hmm. And whereas we had previously, uh, so for, for those who don't know, the Young Women's Trust used to be the YWCA, mm-hmm. so it's got a very long history of supporting young women who are living in or on the edge of poverty and then it rebranded about 7 years ago as young women's trust with a focus on young women and work and what we've done since I arrived is we we have we have stretched that out again to say really clearly we are a feminist organization yeah. and we are working towards economic justice for young women because when you talk about work and women a really important big part of that work is unpaid work mm. Um, and, and, and that was behind our um, campaign that we launched on Wednesday this last week called Young Women Count, mm. which was uh, a calculator for young women to work out how much money the Treasury owes them for all the caring, cleaning, domestic labour, emotional labour that we, you know, that government banks every year to support economic choices. For men and we worked out using ons data that every year young women's unpaid work uh is worth 140 billion pounds to the uk economy and that compares oh, wow. as against the financial services sec- uh, sector which is 132 billion so this big you know the sector that government talk about all the time as um, it's terribly important it's what keeps it, it's, actually young women's work is is mm-hmm. worth more so what we really want to do is to we're campaigning for economic justice mm-hmm. we are really want to demonstrate that choices are made in a context mm. and the context is what we have got to really uh, uh look at and and rebuild because young women are being are being told from such a a young age uh that uh, that, they're, that they're they're not as important that they're not as talented that that their options are should not be the same and i think it's a really good time to be having this conversation now because, you know, we're building Brexit for opportunities for all, right? But when you look at where the government is planning to invest, it's really traditional spending. Mm -hmm. It's HS2, high-speed rail. It's that bridge between Scotland and Northern Ireland. It's the big investment pot for science, technology. Now, that's all brilliant, but unless you have a really clear understanding of who is available to do that work and why, then the future for young women looks very much like the past, which is... Like n- not, not an, e- not not a chance at economic equality. Mm. So yeah, that's what we're up to.
4: Do you think? Because I. Did the you can go onto the website and go through a workout how much how many hours of unpaid labour you do doing a week which is great yeah, although okay. I did it and then I was like I really don't do enough housework uh, <laughs> but good I'm glad you came up feeling good about yeah. it yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. I was like I feel like other people do a lot more than I do uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, but one of the things that struck me when I was doing it was I was like I bet if I sent this to some guys they'd be like oh I do just as many and oh, I do just as many and I do just as many and that they don't actually see the disparity and i wonder if how we start to really show that can we even well i think i mean
2: i'm very much about demonstrating it and mm. that was that was the point of the calculator mm. um, youngwomencount.org if anyone's yeah, interested great, it's, it's really still fun. running um and i think that uh you know if you know men who are filling it in saying i do equal matter yeah. brilliant i mean fantastic um, that's wonderful um but we know i mean data shows right yeah. that men don't do this work and and um to the same extent that that women do and we also did some research around that campaign we are trialing um uh, peer research so we're aiming to extend our knowledge of young women by training young women to be researchers in their own life so we we had a group of young women talking to other young women about the unpaid work they do and you get a completely different conversation going in that environment and what became very very quick Clear was that not only did most young women say the unpaid work they were doing was stopping them from being able to access paid work, they were also saying that the men in their families were not expected to do this work.
1: Mm -hmm.
2: And a worrying number were actually started talking about economic abuse, so feeling bullied and intimidated into doing this work. We
4: are going to keep talking to the amazing Sophie Walker. This is the Badass Women's Hour podcast. Welcome back to Badass Women's Hour XL where we are talking to Sophie Walker, activist, leader, all-round total badass. Sophie, um, you've got your new book out, Five Mm. Rules for Rebellion. And we were talking at the beginning about how it kind of came to be, which was this moment where you're like, actually, activism has ground me down Mm. and I need to go away and rest and then Mm. come back again. And Part of that is being inspired by other people doing brilliant things and learning from them. And I wanted to ask you about actually this concept of rest.
2: Yes. And Mm -hmm. how
4: getting to that point where you were like, I need to go and close my curtains and stay away from everyone. Mm. Coming back from that to where you are now, how do you do activism differently now because of that? I understand that I'm part of
2: many, many people doing this work Mm. and there's comfort in that. I've also got to a point where I've understood that I'm good enough. Mm -hmm. And I think that, you know, even as somebody who intellectually, as a feminist, uh, understood the, the messages that we are sent as women every day that tell us we're not good enough and that we have to recognise that this happens and fight against it. I mean, I hate talking about making women more confident, for mm-hmm. example. I hate all that stuff. Mm-hmm. It really winds me up. I think women are confident. We're born confident. Mm-hmm. But we have it knocked out of us. We don't need mm-hmm. you to teach us to be confident. We need you to get out of the way. <laughs> um, so but it was a shock actually realizing how much of that i myself had actually mm-hmm. internalized and had was berating myself for not being strong enough and able enough and and also i think also looking at leadership models i you know i, I it's very hard not to fall into very traditional male ideas of leadership which is like there's one person Going over the hill with thousands of people behind you, and you're always right. Like you have to be right. There's no space to be wrong or to say I don't know or to you know. The minute you make a mistake, Mm. you're done. Um, And uh, and so I think actually just spending a bit of time to rest and to hang out with my kids that I had you know Mm. really hadn't seen anything like enough of as a as a politician, and that in itself was painful. Um, and also, but just to, to you know, to, to talk to other women and listen to other women and, and find out the work that other women were doing and to feel like I wasn't. And I say that and it's odd because, like, you know, the Women's Equality Party, the work I've done with um, uh, uh, autism support groups mm. that, you know, the the... The, the mums the carers that I'd always connected to and worked with like I was never doing this on my own but I think somehow I had got to a point where I did feel because I was tired I was I was looking very inward and mm-hmm. it, that makes you feel alone even when you're really not so it was a chance for me to realize I really wasn't alone and and also I mean and I talk about this in the book that like it's really important to look after yourself right it's really important to sleep to eat to but not to get sidetracked by ideas of wellness Mm. and and you know, the green juice is great and the yoga is great. You know, get yourselves a spiralizer. <laughs> um, but a spiralizer is not the answer to structural inequality. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> and, and you have to keep your eyes on the prize. Um, and, and I think what the book helped me to do, and I hope really helps other people to do, is to get a sense of the fact that this is this is, it's a philosophy for life. And there will be times when you, you, you know you, you can step out and you can come back in and it will nourish you and it will you know just being part of that cycle will nourish you but also it will allow you to be kinder to yourself because you don't feel like you know you're the one going over the hill on your own
0: yeah do you uh, so what examples of women uh, going over the hill together do you have and can you point to because I think that's the other thing right so you, you, the book is is great and we are going to come on to the book in a minute um but the models of leadership are the individual solo heroic person going over yeah. the Joseph Campbell here, here, That's it. Yeah. But you must have more examples of women that are saying actually it's going to be collaboratively and we're all going to go over and we all work together and if it goes wrong it goes wrong and we discuss it together.
2: Well, yeah, and I have to say, you know, I think part of part of the, my experience was because I was because um, I was doing politics and mm-hmm. politics really forces mm-hmm. you very quickly and. You know, I think the Women's Equality Party is a, is doing a really good job of doing politics differently and looking at how, you, you know, as a small party, they can be nimble and they can look at influencing and um, and working with other people, which, you know, should not be radical, but right. still is in mm-hmm. politics. I think in activism, I mean, the history of activism is is the history of women. I mean, activism is as old as patriarchy and it's mm. a natural reaction to it. You know, women have always had to communicate and collaborate to create systems that work for them, because they're all, they're constantly being squashed by systems that don't work for them. Um, and and you know, I spoke to so many amazing women. You know, from all around the world. I spoke. I mean, I spoke to some uh, some names that you'll recognise. I spoke to Jack Monroe, who um, has a tells you know a fantastic story of of how she experienced you know really. Biting food poverty mm-hmm. and managed to work her way through that. Um, and uh, uh, who else is? I spoke to Shiori Ito, who is um, the face of Japan's Me Too movement. You know, how do you protest sexual ha- harassment and violence um, in a country where there are there literally isn't the words to talk about it? Because, mm-hmm. you know, uh, she was amazing. I spoke to um, Joy Onyeso, who is a peace builder in Nigeria. I spoke to the women uh, from the International League for Peace and Freedom who are working together in Sarajevo. Um, I spoke to the great and glorious uh, uh, Gloria Steinem, who was very kind about me making a complete idiot of myself. From her. <laughs> oh. Uh yes that's I guess I'll get like wake up in the morning and go oh, what God. did you do I can't actually remember because it was so bad oh. <laughs> she was I, I was she was over here doing a book tour um and I she very generously gave me some space to come and meet her and talk to her and at the time I think I'd been leading the women's equality party for about eight months um I'd just been announced as the candidate for London mayor yes. I was quite surprised about all of those things <laughs> um and I and I sort of went to see uh, Gloria like you know sort of approaching the oracle <laughs> I, I've got questions written in biro <laughs> on both of my arms and I was just completely o- overwhelmed both by her and by the scale of what I was trying to do and I just absolutely blew it so but I included it in the book because I think it's really important um you know I made a complete ass of myself in front of In front of one of my heroines and she was very kindly you know gave me other opportunities to to talk and to email but um I made a lot of my mistakes in public um Mm. and and I think um and I think that that in many respects helps Mm -hmm. to to gather people to you because you're saying look I'm not infallible in fact I'm quite often a bit of an idiot um uh but I'm learning because I think you know It's really hard to be an activist, right? Campaigning is mostly losing. In order to get an an idea that works, you have to take it out there and show it to other people. And that's really hard. I've seen so many good ideas fall apart because the person that had it couldn't share it and didn't want to hear (laughs) feedback on it. And that's even harder when, in this world of social media, we are encouraged to be gladiatorial and we are encouraged not to be collaborative but to... To really trying to tear each other down, um, and uh, and that you know, collaborating with compassion is something I talk about in the book. It's it's very it, it's it, you have to connect to people, and you also have to understand that while you may be doing your campaigning from a sense of deep hurt mm. and past vulnerability, that is often what drives people. It's not, it's not personal when people respond differently and have different ideas. How
3: much uh, has Twitter, in particular, um, impacted on your drive for activism? Because, obviously, in the media there's been lots coming up about about Twitter and about that sort of bullying and Mm. backlash. And, Mm. you know, I've seen some of the abuse that you you get on, on Twitter. Um, you know, as much as social media can kind of be brilliant for yeah. activism, right? Mm. Um, at the same time, if you are pushing, constantly pushing a narrative that not everybody perhaps agrees with or even sees, mm. how much has Twitter played a part in actually, you know, putting you on the sofa for a while and, and shutting the guns? Oh, I
2: mean, it had a that had a, played a big part in it. I mean, there were, you know, there were regular Twitter storms um, and they would be... Choreographed pylons mm. by people who I'm I'm not going to name, but who would quite routinely look at my tweets and see what they could retweet with a sort of rude or sarcastic comment to to get a bit of a you know just to get a story mm. really about about aggro about nothing. I learned I've learned um, I've learned how to deal with whatabouters. Mm-hmm. I've learned how to spot people who engage in good faith and who engage in bad faith. Mm-hmm. And, and where to direct my energies I do think that you can connect and have good experiences on social media I've got much much m- stricter about just muting or blocking or not responding to people who are who are not there with good energy um, and getting offline as much as possible I like just get offline see people face to face it is it is so so essential that we regroup and that we Spend time with people who think differently to us um and find and educate each other and learn from each other and find spaces of mutual understanding and that's simply not possible on twitter that's oh, not
3: on twitter that's what I find and it's you mm. know
2: especially with with
3: everything that's happened you know I, I forgot what a what a turbulent time we've been through when you when you sort of mentioned all those things mm. the trump the marches mm. the you know um but just being able to have that space where where we are all learning right yeah, and certainly. i you know i even look back at probably some of the stuff that we were talking about 4 mm-hmm. years ago on the show I don't think I'd have the same view on those now. Mm. But you're right, we have this space, Twitter's particularly bad, but I think it, it it seeps out into the general domain where everything's got to be black and white and nobody wants to just have a conversation or stay in the grey or be open to things.
2: Well, I think we're actively encouraged not to. You know, social media across a range of, of um, apps and outlets actively encourages us to be as individual as possible. It wants to put us in boxes so that it can sell to us. Right. Mm. What do you like? Yeah. What do you not like? I'm going to put you in that box over there so I can now send a whole stream of adverts. Mm. I know exactly who you are. I know your likes and dislikes. And I want you to be really clear about your likes and dislikes yeah. because because I, I, you know, I'm know, i trying to make money out of you.
4: Yeah. And I'm going to keep I'm,
2: feeding you the same likes and dislikes as well, right?
3: Yeah. That's the, other, the yeah. other Trump. Yeah, yeah.
4: yeah. Sophie, the book is called Five Rules for Rebellion and the rules are, I'm going to read them, defeat despair, channel rage, wield hope as power, collaborate with compassion and practice perseverance. Yes. Finally, of the five, which one do you think is the most important?
2: Mm. I uh, the, I don't think you can separate them and that was mm. what I learned. <laughs> Sorry, that's the comment. You get to do all of them all the time. Um, I... Uh, and I really am not trying to duck the question. Mm. I think, at the time I was learning about each of those stages, they seemed like the most important. I think certainly understanding that hope is power was an absolute revelation to me. Like you talk, we talk about hope as being something that's quite fluffy and a bit soft, you know, sort of skipping through the daffodils. They're, oh, it's all going to be, you know, with a bit of luck, it'll all be fine. I, hope is hope requires determination. It requires you. Uh, uh to set your intention as yoga fans uh, would put it every morning that you are going to be hopeful and hope is something that is the ultimate act of defiance mm. it is the thing that nobody can take away from you and i found this wonderful quote in a book by rebecca solnit um uh and she says hope is not a lottery ticket that you sit on the sofa and clutch feeling lucky it is an axe that you break down doors with in an emergency and I just like, I'm going to have that tattooed. On my <laughs> um, so I think, yeah, there you are. You've got your answer. I've gone to hope. But I think they, they, all, they all work. They all, one leads into the next, leads into the next. And it is a continuous circle.
4: Sophie, thank you so much for coming in and talking to us. You are, as ever, a huge, huge inspiration. Thank you for all your work. Oh, you're so. You're making Harriet cry. she always makes me cry. She always makes me cry. Uh, Five rules for rebellion. Let's change the world ourselves. Bye, Sophie Walker. Out now. Go buy it. Uh,
1: (laughs) A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot, maybe your new best friend.
2: They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started,
1: visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming
4: up,
0: it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going.
1: Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com.
4: The Badass Women's Hour is Harriet Minter, Natalie Campbell, and Emma Dexter. Three women, one podcast, and a whole load of badass. And some incredible women, and a man. Occasionally, when we let them in the studio, Yes, as we've mentioned throughout the show, this is the last Badass Women's Hour with all three of us. I will be here next week with some fabulous guest presenters, Uh, but Nat and Emma, our journey has come to an end, my dear I feel half sad, half excited to get my Saturday nights back. (laughs) Well, here to ask us all about it and to extract your highlights from you, Mm. Uh, we couldn't have anyone else other than our showbiz editor, Johnny Seafert. Good
5: evening, ladies. How are you, Johnny? Oh, I'm very excited. I'm very excited. How did the crash our last <laughs> um, show? How did that happen? It's a it's a it's a journey we've all been on together. <laughs> yeah, I mean, right. you, so let's let's for those who have kind of joined us on the journey, let's go for it systematically. <laughs> let's go back to the beginning. So, <laughs> Nat, you, you were came born. up with this big idea. Uh, when I was just a little boy a little innocent boy who thought the world is all amazing and full of rainbows and the right girl was out there for me but we didn't know how to swim to find her
0: well no no, so let's roll back actually International Women's Day it would have been 2016 probably just about uh you and Emma and H did an event at the W hotels Mm -hmm. um and it went really well and it did it have the ty- word yeah. badass in it, right? It was right? called
4: Badass Mavericks. That's oh, it. That was it. This is a good title. And then
0: the W were like, we want to do something. You emailed me and were like, the W want to do something. I can't be asked, but you might want to do it. Well, uh, <laughs> oh, no, you had your whole thing around the badass principles. Yes, that's, so that's, that's like, true. So I was like, oh, there's a, yeah, yeah. you had a concept. This is true. Uh, and so I tracked together a bit of a, a deck because anyone that knows me knows that I love a deck, I love a PowerPoint deck. <laughs> Uh, and said, well, let's just do a series. And you guys have already started it, so we'll just continue it. And we'll do a live broadcast in front of an audience. But because we always have to sweat the asset, which is another thing I say all the time, we're going to podcast it. And it means that more people can listen to it. And then we were like, well, it might as well be a radio show because, Mm -hmm. you know, why wouldn't people want to listen to everything that we say? And we called up um, Virgin Radio to begin with. And they said, well, we don't really do talk, but speak to talk. And we came along and met a lovely man called Lauren. Well, we met a lovely man called Lauren and a lovely man called Denny and a lovely woman called Lauren. And they sort of said... Yeah, go on then. Yeah. Basically. <laughs> yeah. Well, Still three hours. Well,
1: what
3: we found out was, actually, they, they were like, yeah, yeah this, is a, this sounds good. We'll do it as a, as a podcast. And we had that podcast format. Yeah. And then they wanted to see if we'd keep showing yeah. up. Yeah. And we did. Every Friday, we produced the whole show. Yeah. We found all the guests. We yeah. showed up every Friday from September to December to get that
4: show done. I think they thought we were going to last, what, four weeks? Yes, yeah. they were yeah. like, they didn't think we'd last, did they? And
0: we kept on, we kept on showing up. <laughs> Uh, and we did. We produced it. So, Johnny, we were we, you. We produced. Our, we produced. Oh, the show how and we did, did I a great get the short job.
5: straw? But I have to book you twelve <laughs> guests a week when you did it all yourselves.
0: But that's how, that's. And then we were like, we want to go live. We want to go live every week. We want to go yeah. live. Want to go live? And then we were like, hey, you can, you can you can go live. And we just went live for an hour. No, no we didn't. We straight went straight, hours, straight to a three-hour live show went two, years to three hours, yeah. two years ago. Two years ago, did we? Yeah. 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 God, I've written that bit out yeah. of my mind. Yeah, we <laughs> did. It's a very but long three hours. When
3: we were doing the podcast, Laurie, bless him, he said, always let's do this yeah. like it's live. And what I noticed when I speak to other people who are doing podcasts, they're like, wow, it took me four hours to do that podcast. And I think right from the word go, we just yeah. acted like it was a live show. And mm. I think that's one, I think that's made me a better communicator. But then because you've got no chance to really edit.
0: Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And so that I, I think that I, I totally agree with that. Being able to say what you think in the moment and be okay if it's wrong, uh, if it's not actually what you really mean, or actually it's not that smart. The the confidence it's given me now, just be like, well, yeah. knowing well. Yeah. That's what I thought in the moment. (laughs) That's what I thought in the moment. It wasn't that smart, but it's okay. Yeah, yeah. Nothing bad's
4: happened. I've had another opinion now. I'll share that one
0: instead. And I think
3: we got very good at calling each other out when we weren't smart. I mean, I know (laughs) I definitely got some countries mixed up a few times, (laughs) didn't I? You know, and then you just like you've got to acknowledge the mistake there and then because you can't edit it out. But then that makes for a much more kind of vulnerable conversation. And it's also the
5: excellent producers that you've had that have shaped (laughs) you of who you are and mould you because you've gone through how many producers in two years? But you know what it
3: is. I think we're. We're not radio presenters, right? And I think what it was is we, we knew the show, we knew the concept, we knew the you know conversations, what we wanted to do. What we, do. What we didn't realise is actually you producers you drive these shows and the presenters are like the personality that deliver the content but you're shaping that and i think for us we didn't know that and we didn't understand that so we would really push back hard on these. so we've probably got reputations being total divas but we're not are we johnny
4: well i think what we've learned actually is that we had to challenge our own unconscious bias so we had three yeah. women mm. and then look the one that stuck was a man yeah.
5: and look how much but you hated that
3: <laughs> no but i think it was good because i think you didn't you just had a completely opposite lens to us, and you're also coming from a radio perspective, mm. and we were coming from a podcast. But I think you've been great, Johnny, because I feel like we've been able to be really honest with you mm. and disagree with you, but you've never taken it personally. <laughs> like, Go to you that. Think? You've always been. You've yeah. been coming from a place where you want to make a great radio show, and we've been coming from the place where we want that too. Mm. And I think there's been a really good working relationship. It's a great. a thing that Emma's not Johnny's everyone
5: favorite. really realises as well is that when not that you had an agenda but there's a mission there's a statement that you wanted to yeah. try and make and there's a th- and you leaders had an agenda that you wanted to do you mm-hmm. wanted to you know champion people that don't get hurt mm-hmm. and it's very easy to say that but when you're trying to do it on the mainstream or you've got someone who thinks about it from a completely different view it's quite hard for someone from the other side to look into what you're doing it's like any niche like you know if you don't ever know what sewing is and then you're Getting in a sewing committee on. You know, you're having to learn. And for me, it's been amazing because when I took over producing this show two years ago and I thought within well, two years. Well,
0: yeah, probably. Yeah. Oh two goodness. years in
5: September it'll be. Yeah. And I was like, which it's is basically it's not goes. two years, it's 18 months, <laughs> but whatever. Um and I was like, I don't understand the show because I saw the show based on one Instagram video, which was you talking about your pubic hair, which I'll never let you live down. And I thought, was that what you're talking about? And it's then a very
3: important conversation. When I came was... in,
5: and that I remember the first ever running order um, when I covered the show, and I was like, I don't get this show. And I remember I ripped up the running order and started it all again. And then over the next six months, we worked really hard trying to make it a thing. And I think now it's something we should all be so proud of. And also, I get it. I get Yay! what you're doing, and uh, I actually actively do what you're doing now I'm so proud of you, because genuinely. I do see the problem. You know, like Chanel's put out this thing of their uh, the first um, the first plus size. plus size model in ten years, but doesn't look plus size whatsoever, and yeah. it's a white woman. I'm like, no, that should be an, <laughs> that should be a minority, and also plus size is plus size, not just. A little bit bigger, so So I um, have annoyingly come to your side.
4: You've learned so much, and you've
5: taught me about girls as well, which is weird.
4: And and now you've got a girlfriend. So look how we're exclusive. We're not. Do (laughs) do not get any ideas. We're exclusive.
5: (laughs) Mum, dad don't know. So please don't tell (laughs) them.
4: We've only got two minutes, so let's have a little highlight. One highlight each of the last few years. Now. What would yours
0: be? My highlight would be the dinner we had with Virgin and I sat next to Monroe Bergdorf Mm, and we had a conversation, black women to black women, about um, the challenges that trans black women face and my preconceptions of trans women and black trans women. And we had a really uh, good uh, heart-to-heart and it will go down in in history as one of my favourite time so thank you um, mine was Rose McGowan not
3: because it was Rose McGowan I think being able to interview a celebrity of that that caliber was really interesting but what it taught me was how wonderful that all the other conversations that we were having because when we were talking to Rose I felt she was very guarded mm. and it made me appreciate all the other mm. guests that we have on the show who are not those sort of massive stars are not media-trained and the lovely, raw, really feels like a really interesting, like non-media-trained conversations. Mm-hmm. And I noticed a big... That was a, a, a big realisation for me. H?
4: Uh, for me, I have two. So I have our debut, our kind of Spice Girls the Early Years <laughs> debut at Box Park Croydon. Oh, do you yes, that? I do. We did an I event do. at Box Park Croydon. <laughs> yeah. Everyone else was having dinner. We were on stage trying to talk about feminism. Nobody cared. Our it photography was looked awesome on those big screens. so good. Uh, and then also Carrie Gracie, who came in and talked mm, so evenly about yes. the gender pay gap. And what she really showed to me is that actually you can be one person and you can make a change for a difference for everyone and I feel like sometimes we come in here on a Saturday night and it's just a radio show and then we forget that actually we do one thing well and we make a change so it has been a pleasure my loves thank you very much I will miss you I will miss you be badass for the final time we will I will be here again next week (laughs) but if you want to follow Emma and Nat in the meantime you can find me at Harriet Minter Emma at Emma Sexton Natalie and for
0: the last time at Nat D. Campbell (laughs)
4: So that's the end of this extra bit, but not the end of Badass Women's Hour. We'll be back next week. Well, I'll be back next week with some very special guest stars, and the conversation will continue online. You can find us at Badass Women's Hour HR, or of course, you can find me at Harriet Minter, Emma at Emma Sexton,
1: and Nat at Nat D. Campbell. Here's a cool fact.